Hello, and welcome to Pursuit of Infinity. In this week's episode, we welcome our first returning guest, spiritual seeker Mo Natra. We get into what Mo has been up to since the last time we had him on, and man, has he got some big news to share. The conversation evolves, as they often do, to discussing religion, the nature of self, transcending the ego, and much more. But before we get to it, for all things Pursuit of Infinity, please visit our website at PursuitofInfinity.com. We have all of our episodes there and links for everywhere you can follow us. So, if you like what we do, head on over there and show us some support. We also really appreciate a follow or a sub as well as a five-star rating and maybe even some kind words of encouragement in the form of a review. These things really help us to expand our reach and credibility, which is so much appreciated. If you're feeling exceptionally magnanimous, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash pursuit of infinity, where you can donate as little as $2 a month to support what we do. Check us out on YouTube. The channel is up. All of our episodes are there. So if you prefer some visuals and to put some faces to the names, subscribe and keep up with us. We're also on Instagram at pursuit of infinity pod. So give us a follow and reach out because we'd love to hear from you. Again, this all can be accessed at pursuitofinfinity.com. And without further delay, thank you so much for listening, and please help me to welcome back to the show, Mo Natra. Hey, Mo. Welcome back to the show, man. Hey, Josh. Thanks for having me. So uh, what you been getting into lately? What's been going on with you? What's new? Well, a lot has been changing, honestly. Things that I have sort of anticipated and other things that I never thought would ever happen. Not that I had anything against them in specific, but the general way of going about such things. Like, for example, I am getting married very soon, which is something that I never thought I would actually do. Oh, congratulations. Um, thank you very much. Yeah, it's um it's been great and uh I never thought I would actually get married. Um not that I had anything against it, but simply I'm the kind of guy who is um, generally speaking not in a negative sense. Um it's hard to stick with and be close to because of the way I go about things and the things that I care about. I don't necessarily care about a lot of the things that should be somewhat necessary for marriage. If you get what I mean. So, um, and my kind of uh, lifestyle can be somewhat difficult for a lot of people to understand and deal with. But somehow she is fine with it and she can understand. And if anything, she kind of admires it as well. Even though we actually have <clears throat> very different backgrounds, you could say. Uh, in terms of major things, like for example, she is a Muslim in the usual sense of the word. And um, and that's something that I thought it would be almost impossible to happen, uh, given my perspective on life and how things are. Um, but recently I came to understand and really feel how that I've always been a Muslim that there is nothing actually but Islam, and not in the usual sense of the word Islam. Um, 
it became a much more profound and fundamental truth. Because it's actually said in the Quran itself that there has been but one religion <clears throat> all along. And, um, and I thought like, okay, so that's kind of weird because Islam also believes in Christianity, Judaism, and other religions and prophets. So how come God says, or Allah, that there has been but one religion? And if it had always been Islam, why there are Christianity and all sorts of different religions? And the more I looked into it and I thought about it, the more I realized that I was understanding that verse in a very superficial way, as many Muslims and people tend to do. So I was equating and limiting the concept of Islam to Quran and the way that the Muslims go about their lives. But Islam is actually a much more broader term and concept, uh, more than one can possibly imagine. So, for example, when I was a kid, I used to believe in the typical sense of the word and the religion. And then at some point, I was told that everything in the entire existence, all living things, even the so-called non-living, like mountains and rocks and so forth, they're all Muslims. And I was like, okay, that's weird. I've, I have cats and I never see the cat praying. I never see it reading the Quran. It doesn't even talk. So when you think about the concept of Islam in the limited sense of the word, in the usual sense, you would come to two conclusions. It's either that the teaching, the verse in itself, is false, or that my understanding of the verse is wrong, right? So one of the two. And given the um, metaphysical assumption that God's words are never incorrect, so it must be my limited understanding or my <clears throat> false understanding of the word is what's making me confused about it. And then I came to realize that Islam actually means, it comes from the word Islam, meaning submission, which is very similar to the concept of the flow and Taoism, for example, in China. And then I was like, okay, so how is the cat a Muslim by default in that sense? And I was like, okay, it, it just submits and, and it goes along with whatever urges it gets. It just goes along with it. It just acts upon it. And I was like, okay, so how am I Muslim in that sense? I was like, that's pretty much what I do. I do not resist some thoughts and emotions. And even those that I resist, even the resistance in itself is an act of submission because the resistance is a thought slash emotion in of itself, and I'm submitting to it. So even when I try to control things, that's me submitting to the desire of resisting the thing and not accepting it and wanting to control it. And thus, I can't help but be a Muslim by default. And so are all things. And ever since that realization dawned on me, I've been looking at things very differently. And I started seeing how similar I actually am to a lot of people, <clears throat> including that girl, for example. Uh, I'm having a hard time talking about this topic in of itself because it's actually very new to me and I'm not very used to it. And it's, in all honesty, it's quite 
scary to change that much. Uh, I never thought I would do these things. I never thought I would be that kind of a person. In some sense, I had a layer of identity that I was not aware of because it's extremely subtle. You only notice it <clears throat> when you're actually in the situation, when you're actually confronted with it. And then, okay, so I see it in a metaphoric, um, metaphorical way as a, like, for example, as the universe is going like, okay, so you believe that um, you're everything and that you're all things and you don't really have anything that you're attached to, a way of living and that it's just, you're just going along with it <clears throat> and that you don't have a specific identity. So can you actually act upon that in an extreme sense, in a threatening sense? And I thought, yes. And, uh, but then when it comes to the physical embodiment, it gets really difficult. So you're in the situation and now you're supposed to do things that you were kind of against and never thought, that's not me, that's not something that I would do. And then you suddenly feel drawn to do so and you don't understand why. And you can't help but keep on desiring. Like, trust me, I've tried a lot of times to just talk myself out of it. And it's like, and I don't know about marriage, you know, and uh, I don't know if we're compatible, all of these things. And I was like, but I, I, I still feel it. Like I'm conceptualizing, I'm intellectualizing the whole thing. I'm trying to rationalize my way out of the situation. But in all honesty, I still feel drawn to that girl. And I feel like going through that experience. And in order to do so, a lot has to change along the way. And you need to come into acceptance and see the truth in what she does and how she is and be supportive of it, even though you don't necessarily see things in the exact way that she does. But you just need to actually act upon it. Can you, can you actually behave in that way? And not like for a day or two, you know? supposedly for a lifetime is is that something you're actually capable of doing and my god is it's really bad it's really scary and uh, and at that point i started to become aware of the layers of identity that i used to have <clears throat> one of which was basically to not have an identity do not have a specific way of being and in a very subtle way that is an identity and then it really shows up when you're in the situation. So that's, you could say that's the biggest thing that has been happening recently. Yeah, because you can be attached to any kind of identity. You can be attached to a mode of spirituality to a degree where it actually hinders your ability to grow. Um, and it's interesting how love can really bring you to a place where you're learning about yourself in a way that you never thought you could. Um, and it brings to mind, again, like uh, you were sort of mentioning the Tao. Um, and I think Lao Tzu, I think the first uh, line of the Tao is something along the lines of like, um, the Tao that can be spoken is not the true Tao. Um, and it seems you have to quiet yourself and quiet the ego monkey mind that's trying to 
attach yourself to other things and trying to deny yourself of your direct experience in which you're feeling. Um, and it, it is, it's intriguing to me that love can really bring that out of somebody in a way that transforms them. Um, and I assume that she really helped you to realize your, your deep and true connection to Islam. Um, in what ways do you think she helped you to realize that? Well, she's actually quite um, religious in some sense, um, not in a hyper strict and annoying way, you know, but she follows the religion to the T, as they say, and uh, she prays five times a day and she enjoys doing so. And uh, just by simply witnessing her and doing all of these things, it just um, helped me directly and indirectly understand and reflect on a lot of things. Like, for example, <clears throat> I used to believe that there is truth in everything. There must be some fundamental truth to it. And then she's praying and she's going about the Muslim tradition and religion in the usual sense. And I'm like, okay, so I, where is the truth in this? Like, how is this, how does this connect to what I came to understand about the metaphysical fundamental layer of existence? And is that actually God's words, these kinds of things? And I came to realize that prayer actually translates in Arabic to salah, which comes from the word sila, which means connection. And interestingly enough, in the Quran itself, like many other religions, the most important thing is always to pray. And yet the most important thing in the Quran, in Islam, is not mentioned how exactly to do it in the book. And I was like, that's interesting, you know. But I was no longer trying to think about it as like, aha, gotcha, you know, uh, you have a flaw in your book. I just thought about it in a more peaceful sense, you could say. And I was like, okay, so why is the most important thing in the religion, in its main book, main reference, in God's words, it's not taught how to exactly do it. And when I realized that um, the word salah, which means prayer, actually comes from the word sila, which means connection. And it's like, it became ridiculous to ask, okay, how do I connect? Well, that depends. It depends on everything. It depends on the kind of environment you grew up in, the kind of person that you are and what you've been taught, and you constantly change. So the way you connect with other people in the simplest ways changes a lot. So there is no logical way to actually go in and be like, okay, so this is you, how you can connect with even just another human being. It's not possible to do so. You can give some tips, this and that, but you can't really uh, hit the nail on its head when it comes to connections. And I was like, okay, so that makes sense. So why is there a specific way of prayer, of connecting still in the Muslim culture? And it became just simply just a matter of discipline because um, if you do not follow a specific way of going about things, say like <clears throat> driving, at first, you're taught to hold the steer wheel with both hands and to pay attention just to that. Don't do anything else. <clears throat> and it's very strict because 
if you try to act cool, you know, just use one hand and you're still learning how to drive, you will most likely fuck it up really badly, right? And you will bring harm upon yourself and other people in doing so. So it's best when you're starting off to follow a discipline where psychologically speaking as well, you have five times a day where you actively engage into this um, activity and you do it in a very specific angle and you do very specific rituals beforehand. Like the Muslims have what they call the wudu, which means that they wash specific parts of their body <clears throat> using water. And all of this really sets you up in the mood to do so. And the spiritual people are really no different. Like <clears throat> some people have their meditation spot. Some people go outside in nature where they can do this. And it's like, is there anything really fundamentally special about that spot or that place in the world? And the answer is no. It's just, it really helps. It makes things easier. <clears throat> So in some sense, you really cultivate the state of being that you need to be in in order to actually connect slash pray slash meditate. So I became very acceptant of it and I became very encouraging of it to her. So for example, if we're living together and she's going to miss out on the time of the prayer, I would wake her up or bring her attention to it. Hey, you forgot to pray, go pray. Because if she didn't do so, she would lose herself gradually. That's the thing, right? It's like somebody who's like a spiritual person and <clears throat> they try to meditate at least once a day and they try to commit to this. Because if you don't really connect with yourself through whatever means, doing something artistic, like making the painting, writing, journaling, going on a walk, sitting in nature, People have different ways of connecting, you know, sitting with families. Um, you would lose yourself gradually. And when you do so, you will end up harming yourself and other people in the process. So it's best to let the person be. And I experienced all of these fancy teachings in a direct sense uh, where I was put in the situation. And I was reminded of all of these fancy teachings that I personally used to teach. And I embodied to a great extent, I believed. But it turned out there is more to it. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, what this brings up for me is, um, as you were saying, it's like the Quran says that there is one true religion. And it's almost like these books and these spiritual practices, like they, they point to the religion and they're trying to get you to realize what it is you need to do to get to the mode of enlightenment or, or understanding, um, which never ends, but it comes incrementally. Um, and it reminds me of something that, uh, that Ramdas said, and I know I bring him up way too much on this podcast, <laughs> but um, he talked about methods of spirituality and how they self-destruct um and they're supposed to self-destruct because each each step on your spiritual path whether it be studying with the guru or reading a specific book or understanding um you know specific concepts within an ideology um eventually you'll realize that what you're attaching yourself to is a method and in order to 
to grow, you have to transcend that method. Um, and for me, like my method was, or is still is psychedelics. And at a certain point, you know, you can't rely on a particular method to uh, provide you with spiritual enlightenment or spiritual growth because there's so much more out there. And that's, I think, one thing you realize when you start to go down this path in any way, shape, or form is that there's like an endless amount of methods and paths to take that point to the same thing. And, I, and there's a metaphor I'm going to say that I bring this up all the time as well that Ram Dass said. Um, and it was that it's like spirituality is a, is a very gigantic mountain. And all of us are standing around the base at a different particular spot. And we each take our own path up the mountain, but ultimately we're all heading in the same direction. And when we get to the top of the mountain, we're intermingling with Christians and Muslims and hippies and all kinds of other people. And we can't tell the difference between who took which path to get here. But we're all ending up in the same place. So that's that's what really uh I was feeling into as you were as you were speaking. Yeah, that's that's actually amazing. I loved it so much. Um it really all boils down to the same direction. And I actually have been thinking about um Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? And how it's understood in terms of stages where you have the sexual desires, basic survival mode. And then at the very top, you have self-actualization, where it's really understood in a limited sense of somebody, for example, reading books and uh, meditating, these sort of things. But truth be told, came to realize that all of these layers are actually one layer, one fundamental layer, and that layer is self-actualization. It's constant self-actualization and it happens in very diverse ways like for example <clears throat> for somebody who's living in the ghetto <clears throat> to self-actualize is to be feared is to be brutal and uh, respected to be the strongest physically and to somebody who's uh, more having a more peaceful environment you could say that person can easily be seen as lost, deluded, you know, confused, <clears throat> stupid, perhaps. But um, they're really fundamentally not that different. They're just expressing, expressing themselves differently. They're having different stories. But fundamentally, it's the same path. It's the same essence. And it's constant self-actualization. And it doesn't look like a specific things. Uh, just like the different paths up to the mountain, uh, the summit of the mountain. They may look radically different, but they lead to the fundamentally to the same destination, you could say. So I do believe that um, all things are fundamentally the same. Just how we are, the both of us are the same thing, but we're not the same person, right? It's just like the Trinity in Christianity. <clears throat> Three persons, but the same God, right? And so you are, and me are not psychologically and physically identical, but fundamentally the same. It just looks different on the surface, right? So in terms of motives, deep motives, everybody's doing the same thing. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah. So something like the verse in the Quran, 
where Allah says that there had been but one religion. Actually, one of the definitions of the word religion in Arabic is path. So it doesn't have necessarily to be understood in terms of religion, worship. No, it actually means path. That's one of the ways of understanding it. So there is one fundamental path, but it's expressed and lived radically different. Yeah. So we speak about like the subtle differences in which path you decide to take or, you know, which ideology you decide to be part of or with which method you become attached to. But if you were like, say, hypothetically, like the spiritual teacher of the world, um, because, you know, you see all these problems. We, you know, there's so much suffering and so much violence. And I mean, there's a specific ideology that would say that, you know, this violence and this aggression and all this stuff we're going through is, it's also part of like the Tao. This is, you know, the good and the bad. You know, God said that, um, you know, I create both heaven and hell, both good and evil. Um, and that's fundamentally like the way that I like to approach it. But if you were like, you know, the, the spiritual guru or the spiritual teacher of the world, what do you think we could teach the world fundamentally, maybe just one concept or even something that the world can unlearn um, to head us in a direction that aligns us more with the summit of that mountain? Actually, interestingly enough, I recently just casually decided to make a TikTok video. And in that TikTok video, I even pinned it on top of my page and I label it as my most important teaching. And the, it basically summarizes to you that the only thing that you ever needed and will ever need in terms of emotional and mental suffering is understanding. Because we're creatures of thought, and creatures of thoughts need thoughts and rich thoughts, in-depth understanding of things, and not just some superficial self surface level stuff. Um, you need in-depth. The superficiality is important because the surface exists. There is ground everywhere. But wherever you find yourself standing, you can always dig down. You don't have to, but you can. So things are both superficial surface and deep but when it comes to things that cause problems bring suffering these are the things where you need to dig this is where you need to dig but if you're walking fine you don't need to dig this is fine um so what people need really is to understand really in depth where they suffer and once there is understanding it gives birth to meaning and the more you understand, the stronger the meaning you see in whatever that is happening. And so when you have the meaning, just like Nietzsche said, when you have the why, you can bear almost anyhow. And it all really boils down, as Albert Camus said, there is really one question whether to commit suicide or to keep going every day. Because you can see it in all sorts of ways can see that there is no reason to continue and you would be correct and you can see that there is every reason to continue and you would also be correct <clears throat> so in some sense the person who decides that is you and you need to understand your suffering the source of your suffering 
And when you do so, you will really, eventually, if you did it properly, you would come to realize that you're, we're already okay, that everything is really okay, that there is nothing really that needs any fundamental fixing, and that the so-called different people that we see as other that are different than us, not only that there are us in a fundamental level, but there are identical to us on a psychological level when you see it from the deep motives, that they're not that different from us, that they're not actually um, unpeople, you know. The easiest way to have conflict and hatred is to unpeople the people, you know, when you no longer see them as yourself. So what people need when they suffer with anything is to simply understand it. And when you're suffering and struggling with somebody else, you need to see the similarities between you and them. And once that happens, the love unfolds on its own. You don't need to worry about it. You, need, you don't need to cultivate it or do anything about it. It just happens as a natural consequence of seeing yourself in them and seeing them in yourself. This is the only practical way of loving thy neighbor as thyself. I love it. I love it. And you bring up Nietzsche. Um, he also said that God is dead. Do you think that's what he was referring to? Like he was referring to the fact that like we're losing the why, like we're losing our fundamental like reason to be human? Um, probably, yeah, you know, um, because for a lot of people, you can see God as their ideal version, their motive behind any, anything that they do. And to be honest, I think they're lying to themselves. I think most people, most religious people, and even spiritual people, don't give a damn about God or the universe. They just care about themselves. And there is nothing wrong with that. The only thing that I would say is dangerous about this is when they don't know that they only just care about themselves and um, that they're just selfish. And selfishness is not bad. It's just another term for self-love, and it is inescapable, and you're not supposed to transcend it. <clears throat> because if you tried to stop being unselfish, you would be doing this for selfish reasons, because it can be a pain in the ass to be selfish all the time. So you're trying to be less selfish. Why is that? Because you're not going to suffer as much. You're going to let go of some things. You're going to become more acceptant things like that. And that benefits you. It indeed benefits other people, but it also benefits you. And the other reason that you can never be unselfish is that whatever that you do for the other person is but the same self in a different place. This is still you. So you're still selfish just over there. And simultaneously, paradoxically enough, you're always selfless because you don't really know the implications and the impacts that are going to last way after whatever that you've done. You don't know how it will impact everything else. And thus, you don't know what's in it for you. And thus, you won't even feel good about it because you're not even aware of it. And the other reason that you're fundamentally selfless is that the self is an illusion in the first place. So 
there is nobody to really make anything out of anything. You're just um, feeling as if there is the you that is benefiting out of this. Um, when it's really <clears throat> the selfless God or the selfless existence uh, entirely just experiencing the illusion of being one separate self and an individual when it's really just the environment, the whole. So even if Nietzsche thought of it in terms of like people lost the why, the reason to do any good, it, it, it really, I can't really tell for sure because um, only him can say that. Again, even if I'm Nietzsche in some sense, I'm not the same person, so I really can't tell for sure. But the way I understand it is yes, it's the same sense that people have lost their ideal versions, their, the things that they look up to. Because if you thought about it, whatever religion, all the morals and um, the ideal ways that people behave is very similar to what they worship at the top. So in some sense, they're striving to the top. They're trying to self-actualize. And it's a constant process. And in, for example, Islam, it is a fundamental truth to be accepted that you will never reach the top. That whatever top that you're going to reach is not really the top top. It's just one of the tops that you're going to hit on your life. But you're never going to really hit it all and have it all figured out. And you're not supposed to. Right? So, yeah. Yeah, I love that you bring up self-actualization because in in my in my little brain the way i define spirituality is essentially self-actualization discovering yourself because i don't feel like you can look externally for the answers i feel like you can be pointed toward the right direction by books and gurus and churches and things of that nature but i think ultimately the way to true spirituality is looking within yourself and and looking within yourself with the desire to discover who you are and what you are. And even though you may not get any solid answers, well, you won't get any solid answers because there are none. It's a continuous, endless, samsara-like, uh, reincarnation-like uh, um, process to me. But it seems that if you do go in that path with the direction motivated by self-understanding, finding out who you really are, what you are, I think it's going to take you down a path where you're going to find a lot of stops um, where you will be able to progress spiritually in your life. Um, and it seems like you're getting to another one of those places now where, you know, you're climbing an, uh, you know, a whole new mountain. And, uh, and I, I think it's beautiful. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's it's beautiful and it's scary, but it's scary in a beautiful way, if it makes any sense. And um, I'm I'm enjoying it, and I'm just curious on what's gonna happen next. And I'm curious on what is already happening now and what happened in the past. I'm just curious in general. I think that's my main why in life as a whole. I'm just interested. Uh, I don't care how. <clears throat> I don't care how it works out and whatever that happens. Obviously, I have some preferences, but I'm not hyper-attached to them. And I'm not hyper-detached from them either. I'm like fairly sincere, you could say. Uh, like I want to 
marry this girl, for example, right? And from where I stand, I want that to happen forever. But I'm not hyper attached to that. But at the same time, if I'm hyper detached, I'm not going to work on it. I'm not going to invest in this at all because it doesn't matter, right? So in general, in my life, my approach of life, ever since I was a kid, even um, way before I educated myself in any sense, um, I've always been like this. So in some sense, I don't really take, give myself full credit for being like that um, because I kind of like started off like this for some reason. So for me, it just has been genuine interest in this thing that's where in, and that we are. And uh, I just want to see what's going to happen. And as it's happening, I want to reflect on why, if I can possibly. And after it's done, let's see if I can go back to this and see if there is more to see that I missed on. So that's usually how I go about it. That's my why. Yeah, I think that's like the perfect method because you're not attaching yourself too much to anything and you're allowing the um, your path to flow and change as you're going down it. You're not attached to you know, a certain route. And I think that is the perfect way to go about any kind of spiritual growth um, and any, any type of self-actualization really because again, when you become too attached to one thing, it doesn't allow you the space to grow. Um, and it's just, it's so awesome to me that like that love is the thing that can really break you free of all of the things that have been holding you down and shackling you both mentally and physically. So what about this girl and what about the love in general that you two share was so transformative to really make you change the way you think about reality? All honesty, as bumming as this may sound, I really don't know. For sure. Like I have some speculations and all of that. And some of them may be correct to some extent or another. Some of them be, might be entirely false. But to be fair, I don't know anything in specific when it comes to this. It's just that I know that as soon as I saw her, her face looked extremely familiar. And one can easily go analyzing this situation, this experience, as in I must have seen her somewhere else as a rational, quote-unquote, person, or as a spiritual person, again, quote-unquote, would say that, oh, must have been past lives. I, I don't know, you know, I just don't know. Maybe it could be this, it could be that, it could be both, it could be neither, I don't know. But I just know one thing, and it was what I experienced at that moment, and it's just that her face looked oddly familiar. And then I spoke to her, just out of curiosity, and I asked her, do I know you? Have we met before? And she said, no. And then I asked, are you sure? And she said, yes, I'm pretty sure. I was like, okay, bye. You know, that's, that's it. That's all I had in my heart and intentions. And then she didn't let me go. She was curious, like, what the fuck are you doing? And she just spoke to me just for this. And uh, I explained that I don't really think that we're compatible in, in very fundamental sense, very fundamental pillars of uh, how we go about life. and. Uh, there is no need to pursue this any further. You know, I was just curious about the face. And uh, she found that to be very arrogant of me to assume such, you know, you don't even know me. So how dare you, you know, uh, assume that we're not compatible. I was like, fair enough, let's go with it. And then 
before you know it, it turned out I was wrong in some sense and uh, getting married to her. Um, but I was right in the sense that I was lazy because I was trying to take the easy way out. Like definitely the things that I thought about that made me assume that we're not compatible, they were there. But not in the sense that you couldn't do anything about it, you know. And uh, by default, I'm just a lazy person when it comes to many things. So I was kind of like trying to take the easy way out and not struggle with these things. Because as I said, I'm more generally focused on the metaphysical aspect of existence. And uh, one could say the spiritual aspect. But um, as Alan Watts put it in his book, The Meaning of Happiness, that the spiritual world is no different than the physical one. That they're really... <clears throat> both terms are just ideas, descriptions, different viewpoints to the same thing. This, that thing is called life. And... Uh, It can be challenging and uh, you don't have to let go of all of the struggles that you thought that, oh, I've transcended this. I'm, I've, I've, I've outgrown these things. I don't need to work on these things and struggle with these things. I have more important things. Um, my, my life is busy enough and it really is. Even though most of the time I may look like just a guy who's sitting, not doing anything, but I'm pretty busy. I believe so. Uh, so in many ways, I was just being lazy. And um, <clears throat> that's perfectly fine because uh, that's just another way of expressing my self-love. Because why would you be lazy? Because I don't want to experience these things. Why? Because it's a pain in the ass, man. You know, this is nice. So just staying in my comfort zone. I don't like demonizing this. Um, but then I <clears throat> chose a different kind of um, self-love. And it's to try to challenge myself in terms of my ideals and really embodying them in a, the most radical ways that I can possibly imagine. Can you actually be very acceptant of somebody like this? Can you actually see the truth in the things that other people do that seem to be very, very different than yours? Can you accept that? Can you support this? And not just in, you know, civilized and nice ways. Like, you do you kind of thing. No, actually support it, actually love it, and maybe even do it. Can you actually go pray like a Muslim does or like a Christian does? And when you actually get to it, it gets very humbling. It breaks a part of you, and that part is the identity that you had, my personality, who I am. And in some sense, I was that person But there is more to it, there is more to the story, and there is more to me to become. So, yeah. Yeah, and I think the only way to realize that there is more to you is to surrender to and break free from your initial paradigms, again, that you're being attached to. Um, Stephen Pressfield would call it like resistance. Like there's this, there's this ego resistance that's like for some reason you won't allow yourself to to break free of what you wanted of what you think you want what your ego is telling you that you want to do because your ego is it's going to tell you what to do in terms of 
what's going to keep you comfortable, what's going to help you to survive, and what's going to maintain the status quo of where you're currently at, whether that be spiritually, physically, intellectually, but you really, you have to break that resistance. And I, I try to do it for myself and I see, I see it in you and I, and I see what you're doing. And like, when I asked you in the beginning of this conversation, what was new with you? I did not expect you to say that, you know, you were getting married and and that, you know, you were going to be sort of like exploring this, uh, like the, the nature of Islam in a way that you never have before. I just, I, I really love it, man. I, I love the path that you're on right now. Um, it's inspiring because when you see someone like surrendering to and breaking free of the, of those things that they've been consistently telling themselves over and over, you know, that ego mind, it, it, it's like, Again, it's inspiring to me because it's my path too. You know, I think it's everybody's path. As you said, it's like, it's about understanding. And the fundamental understanding is the understanding of yourself and who you are. Um, and I think when you allow yourself to break free of your paradigms, you realize that like, you know, kind of back to where your original metaphysics were, that you are everything and you are everyone. Um, and there is a piece of you in everyone and there, and there is a piece of everyone in you. And when you can realize that fundamentally, I think you can really appreciate any religion, any mode of spirituality, because they all have something very integral and special and unique to teach us. Yeah, for sure. Um, although it's um, like one thing that kind of like saddens me, but at the same time, I'm fine with it. I have like a love-hate relationship with it. And it's how within the spiritual communities, um, they kind of like turn each other down, you know, they tear each other down and they look upon each other as like, okay, you're deluded. Uh, you're correct. Why is that person correct? Because it says similar stuff like me. And why is that deluded? Because it doesn't think the same way. And um, I think my preference is to have my own way of seeing things along with combining all the other ways of seeing the same thing and uh, trying to find middle ground between all of these things. And uh, I have a love-hate relationship to biases, right? I believe that without biases, without being biased, you can never stand your ground. You can never walk confidently at all. Yet. With too much bias, <clears throat> with too much bias or without the awareness that you're being biased, you get imprisoned and both are fine. Both results are fine. But my preference, my bias is not to be biased as much as I can. And when I am being biased, to be aware that I'm being biased. And that helps me break through a lot of limitations and dead ends. Like, for example, the, the spiritual people have this belief, for example, that you are everything, right? And uh, because of the lack of the awareness of the bias that we are, that we have, they say this, we are everything, I am everything. And then the next sentence is that I'm not my thoughts. Like, hey, you know, <laughs> you just said you're everything, right? Like... Everything includes the thoughts, it includes the body. 
and uh, it's like I'm I'm everything, but I'm not this name. I'm not this body. And that's perfectly fine, but it's not my perfectly fine. My perfectly fine is more about, okay, I must be biased. And if I'm aware of my biases and I don't see any upgrade from here, I can accept them as they are. And if I'm not aware of my biases, then there is nothing to be done, right? But always keep my eyes open, always keep my ears open for more because it will be taught, it will be shown one way or another, especially if whether you want to see it from the inside out, if you have the intention to continue to grow and to understand and have your eyes open up and thus the universe will do the same to you. <clears throat> or you can see it from the outside in, in the sense that if your life circled in that direction as a cycle of creation, went in that direction of you becoming wiser and wiser, because you don't have to become wiser, but sometimes some cycles of creation, some lives go in that direction. <clears throat> so whatever way you see it, wherever angle that you see it, it, it really goes back to what you were saying earlier about the answers being within, not outside. And that is, I believe, to be partially correct because I also believe that the very teaching that the answers are within, that came from outside. So it's like one may say, like, yes, the guidance may come from outside, but the answers in of themselves may only be found on the inside. And I don't think that's untrue. But I think there is more to it. There is some nuance to it. Because when you say that on the inside, where is that? That's, that's the thing that I think about. It's like, okay, the answers are within. Within what? Within me, as in within my mind or my brain. But that's not me, right? Given the belief that I'm not the body. And thus from that way of looking at it, you can see it that if I'm still not the body, then that's not within me, that this is still outside. And if you see it from the way that all of it is me, then all of it is within me, whether you see it as outside or inside. And um, I like to keep my eyes and ears open to both ends, to what I usually, in the mainstream common way, call it the inside. And what I, in the mainstream sense, call it the outside. Because it's going to come from both, one way or another. And it's going to show me more. Yeah, it brings to question what it even means to be inside or outside. Inside and outside are essentially just perspectives because inside goes forever and so does outside. And I think what most people associate like outside with is the ego and what people associate inside with is like the spirit or the soul. Um, and it, it sort of makes me think about the whole concept of people like aspiring to kill their ego, you know, like this, this whole notion that like, that you have to destroy it in order to find out who you really are. Um, I mean, I understand it. There is a lot of utility in having in sort of ego disillusion experience because it sort of just like shuts off like your your default mode of consciousness so that you can understand that there's more out there than just that. But we still need our egos. Our, our ego is like the single most 
fundamental, important aspect of being who we are and being a human because without your ego or without the ego, God would not be able to experience itself. Like to me, that's what the ego is. It's like a system, it's a, a system of neural networks that God creates in order to experience itself. Um, and that, I mean, I guess that can mean it can come in all shapes and forms, whether it be animal consciousness, human consciousness, but I think the ego, it, it gets a bad rap because it's like our default mode of consciousness in this, uh, in like the Western world. Um, but we need it. We need our ego. It's exactly as you last said that the ego is our default mode or state of consciousness. This is how I, this is one of the ways that I see the ego, right? I see it as a state of consciousness, a state of experience, a specific kind of like almost static experience. Um, but the thing about it is that when people try to kill their ego and transcend it. Who is the one doing this? Because ego really just means sense of self, right? Me. So I am trying to transcend me. It's like I'm trying to improve myself. Okay, how the fuck am I going to do this? Because how would me, the one who needs the improvement, improve myself? I need some other, in some sense, to help me improve myself. I can't just improve myself on my own. And so it's the same thing. It's like, okay, so how can the ego, how can I transcend me? It's, it's, it's like uh, a tongue trying to taste itself or a nose trying to smell itself. And it's like, okay, so what do I smell like? Whatever that you're going to smell is not you. If you looked at it from that angle. But at the same time, the experience still remains what people experience, still happens. So my objection is on the way they understand it, they interpret it, but not to take the experience away. But the way I would describe that experience, that they describe as, oh, I died. How did you know that you died? You were still there, right? So you didn't die. So what dies is a shitload of identity and layers to the sense of self. So many layers. Some of them you're aware of. Some of them that you know that you're not aware of. And others you don't even know that you don't know them. And then when you have these experiences and they start getting stripped away and you start feeling naked and naked, more vulnerable, more transparent, if it went as far as it can possibly go, there will always be someone witnessing it all happen. And that is you. And then people believe that, okay, so this is me. I was one with everything at that point. But basic math, that's two. That's not one. Actual oneness, on the other hand, there is no one to experience the oneness. There is just nothing, nobody, no self whatsoever. It died off entirely. There is no experience and there is no experiencer. They both come and go together. But what people experience is a great deal of liberation, you could say. Not necessarily that these things are bad, but they indeed can bring a shitload of suffering. <clears throat> Sorry. So when somebody is suffering a lot and struggling a lot with so many things about themselves in life, and they go down that path, 
and they experience this. It liberates them a lot. And it transforms them, trans- transforms their relationship with themselves and thus their relationship with life. But through this happens a lot of misconception, which gives birth to a whole new journey that comes after this. And it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm consciousness. I'm the awareness. I'm not the body. I'm not this. And it is true because there is still the me and it's the formless me. It's literally nothing. It doesn't have any attributes whatsoever. If you stripped everything away from it, the body, the thoughts, everything, you would see it as the awareness. And even the awareness is the sense of self, the perceiver. And that, the awareness, consciousness, is an illusion. It's not actually real. And it is fundamental true. But the whole thing is called maya. The whole thing is an illusion, right? So if the whole thing is illusion and everything is consciousness, thus everything, thus consciousness is an illusion, thus I am an illusion, right? I think there was a, a wise rabbi that I don't recall his name who said, if I am me because you are you, then I am not me and you are not you because the only way for me to know me is through you being you, right? But me on my own, even in a physical sense, I can't even know how my own face looks like without some other reflecting it to me, a mirror, um, some lake, whatever. So in order to recognize and be able to tell that you are you, you need some other. And as long as you have this interdependent, coexistent relationship, then there is something fishy about this, not necessarily in a negative sense, but it's not real in the strict sense of real that is like objectively there whether you were around or not um no that's not the case and thus consciousness is all there is you are all there is but all there is is an illusion and thus all of the other things are also an illusion so that's the kind of like trip that people experience after the first trip this is done you go to the next and once this is done, there is a third and the fourth. <clears throat> I think one of the fundamental things that changed for me ever since my <clears throat> psychedelic trips is that I just need to shut up for a moment and just look around or look within, doesn't matter. And then the whole thing feels like a trip, that you're constantly tripping. You know, It's just sometimes you're so absorbed into it, feels very real. Just the same way when you're watching a movie, scary movie, in the theater, and you get so absorbed in it, you actually get scared. When all of this is made up, all of this is not really happening. And that's part of it. That's not something to be transcended. Um, The only way you would try to transcend fear is out of your fear. You're afraid to feel afraid. And thus, the one who... realizes this whole dynamic, this whole play, understands that there are two kinds of games. One where you forget that you've forgotten everything that you've learned and you're very absorbed. And the other one where you remember, oh, I forgot, I need to, you know, awaken myself. I was, uh, the ego took over. And you have this kind of like oscillation between the two. It keeps going like this. I love it, man. I love it. Mo, such 
fruitful nuggets of knowledge for us to chew on here. I can always rely on you for that, man. Um, I really appreciate you coming on the show again today. Um, and I wish you the best of luck in your endeavors. Um, and I wish you the best of luck in your marriage, man. Thank you very much, Josh. It's been a real pleasure. I love being here and I'll see you soon. Talk to you later. Um, where can people find you real quick before you bounce? Well, there is my Instagram at Mo Natura, and uh, there's also my TikTok account under the same name. Yeah. All right. Till next time, brother. Till next time.